Welcome to Marketing Thought Leadership, the podcast that offers insightful discussions on thought-provoking marketing topics. Here's the host of our show, marketing consultant, speaker, author, and educator, and the president of Leverage 2 Market Associates, Linda Popke. Hi, this is Linda Popke, and welcome to our latest episode of Marketing Thought Leadership. I'm here today with Ted Wright, the CEO of Fizz, a pioneering, award-winning word-of-mouth marketing firm. Now, Ted has been at the forefront of -of word-of-mouth marketing ever since he helped reignite the PATH's Blue Ribbon brand in 2001. And he's become the leader, the global leader in word-of-mouth marketing with clients on every continent. Uh, Ted challenges his audiences to rethink conventional wisdom, take risks, and relish the cutting edge. Uh, he's won numerous public speaking awards, and he always elicits more questions than a Q&A can handle. So we're very pleased to have Ted here, who has just written a book called Fizz, Harnessing the Power of Word-of-Mouth Marketing to Drive Brand Growth. So welcome, Ted. Thanks for having me, Linda. It's great to be on. Now, why do you think that word-of-mouth is the best available marketing tool that we can use today? Well, so it used to not be that way. There was a time in the United States in the 1940s through about the 19, middle 1980s where broadcast was dominant. Um, but in the 11,000 years preceding that, word of mouth is the way that people had really gotten all their information. Uh, and so with modern broadcast came, wow, this is really interesting. And we had magic boxes in our living room and then magic boxes in the storefronts. And you could hear the King of England give a speech or you could see a baseball game that was going on hundreds or thousands of miles away, and people were like, wow, this is really cool. Um, but once you have ubiquitous color television in a media market for 35 years, um, basically everybody by that time is in on the joke. And the joke is, and, you know, and, the, and the problem is that not everybody tells the truth uh, when they're on TV or they're in broadcast. And so right now, if you pull the data from like large longitudinal studies from Pew and from other organizations, they'll see that basically 8 out of 10 North Americans do not believe that companies tell the truth in their advertising. And there's actually two people that do believe that. That's actually pretty funny. Yeah, good point, Linda, right? So there's still 20%. But, you know, (laughs) so it's interesting. You know, it's America, we're 330 million people. We got lots of people that believe all kinds of things. I mean, there's still people that go to flat earth society meetings and or think the moonshot was a fake. So there's, there's, you're right. But the vast, vast, vast majority of North Americans just don't believe that companies tell the truth. Now, that's if they even see it, right? So your ad has to get through TiVo and ad blocker and the mute button, and, and it's got to be on some device that people are even watching as opposed to the other device, and then 8 out of 10 people don't believe you're telling the truth anyway. So broadcast, and there's not a CMO in America or a CEO in America that is not aware of this now, broadcast is not nearly as effective as it used to be, and that's in all of its forms. And so what has happened particularly after the Great Recession, where you had more and more pressure on people's income and people's time, that they basically have bailed on the thing that the channel they used to get all their information from. And they've gone to this new channel, and this new channel is conversation, or, or the, it's the age of conversation, because seven out of ten of those same North Americans that aren't believing broadcast believe their friends tell them the truth about products and services. 
You know, I absolutely believe you're right, Ted, and and I I love what you talk about. Before the 40s, we go back 11,000 years, and and we always used to talk to each other this way. And I I talk about that in my book, Marketing Above the Noise, that we've got to go back to the way we did things before, and conversation is a big part of it, and community, et cetera. Um, And so you you talk about um, word-of-mouth marketing, and we, we hear about this so much, and too often I hear it kind of confused with social media. And I don't think you're talking about the same thing. So can you clarify that for us? So so let's think about what's the difference. So word of mouth is the big piece and the, and word of mouth marketing. So word of mouth is people talking to each other. Right. Word of mouth marketing is the organizing of the conversation that's out there. And you as a company, you as a brand, you as a nonprofit, you as whatever, would like to direct that conversation and enjoy that conversation going in a particular direction. That's right. what that you hope for, right? So social media, which is basically a digital, a digital tool set, In the United States, it's mostly Facebook and Twitter, with two-thirds of it being Facebook and a third being Twitter, and then everything else being like altogether less than 1%. Uh, China, there's Weibo, there's other stuff, but basically they're clones. They're clones of the same thing. So when Twitter was invented, it came out as a micro-broadcast tool. So instead of being broadcast to everybody, you were just going to broadcast to very specific people. And we've already talked about the efficacy of broadcast and how that's declining. So I mean, that's one of the reasons I think the CEO of of Twitter is being forced out because right. they're basically the last broadcast entity that started, and they started way at the end of the train. So if this was the 1930s, this would be an amazing leap forward, and they'd be worth billions. They're not, uh, right. and they're slowly dying. Facebook is interesting in all of its Facebook clones around the world because Facebook is the thing that most closely mimics somebody actually having a conversation. Right? There's not a limit on how many words. Where, where the difference for that tool is that it's asynchronous. So I can have this guy can say this to somebody in the morning and I'm in Paris and they can see it at night when they land in Tokyo and we can have this conversation that is sort of out of phase with time, but it's sort of back and forth. Right. So social media is basically a tool set. If you are so there was used to be a CMO of Coca-Cola who said that marketing is about selling more stuff to more people more often for more money. Mm-hmm. And if you're not going to do those things, then you should go home. Right. right? So we at our office, we are, we are agnostic about what the tool is. A third of my staff is digital. So we, Facebook and Twitter and all the rest of the little things that are out there are important. And for some clients, they're more important. So if you're a fashion brand, you know, uh, Instagram is just wonderful. Or if you're about food or you're about cats, Instagram right. is great. But the reality is that those things, those tools in total, don't really sell a whole lot of stuff. And marketing is about taking money from your boss and helping to bring more sales in. And the profit you bring in from those sales needs to exceed the cost that it takes to bring them in. And broadcast in every form, including whatever social media tool you need to want to bring up, does not do that anymore. And it really never has done that. And there was a great internal study at Coca-Cola several years ago that came out that was sort of this long, like, hey, we've spent all this money. What did we get for it? Right? Let's just ask the question. And the answer was 
Not much. Yeah. As far as if we're trying to sell more Cokes. And then, you know, there's a public outcry from the person who is running the the social media for Coca-Cola. She basically put out, you know, an eight-paragraph note that was basically some version of, nah, and, and that's all that they really had. Um, and so it's great for bringing people together, and it is an important communications tool, but it doesn't really sell more stuff. Now, interestingly, it's a good organizational tool. So revolutions are really mm-hmm. important on yep. Twitter. Um, my wife uh, attended a college called Sweetbriar College, and for some reason the board decided to close it in the spring, and they were like, no way, and they all the people went on Facebook and Twitter and organized. They used that as, the, as a meeting space. Right, right. But – it wasn't the thing that actually got stuff done. What actually got raised, you know, $22 million in 110 days and went to the Virginia Supreme Court and got the board removed and got the president to resign was women getting together all around America saying, we are not going to let this stand. We are going to do this. What is it that we should be doing? It was- so what I love about what you're saying, and, and, and I absolutely agree with it because it's what I say in my book as well, is that we don't start with the tools. The tools are a way to help get your message out there, but they are just tools. You don't start building a house with a hammer. You need an, arch- an architect and a plan and a location and a vision of what that all looks like. And then maybe you need a hammer or a saw or something else, but the tools are, are kind of minor to what you're doing, and I absolutely agree with that. Um, now, one of the things you talk about that I think is, is really important is the idea about influencers. And influencers are not the same as early adopters, so they're people who, who are important to us but in a different way than perhaps early consumers, early adopters. So tell me what you think about what is a, is a key characteristic of an influencer and why do we really need to, um, to put so much stake into it, reaching out to these folks? All right, so let's look at that. And there are actually three prime characteristics of an influencer. And and just just it's a good line to remember. Influencer is not a job, influencer is not a title, influencer is a personality. Yes, and if you absolutely. have the influencer personality, then and you're on television, you're Oprah Winfrey. And right. if you're not on television, you know, you're my best friend Jack who's like travels all over the world and he has a 12 year old and we have a 12 year old and he's a dude you really ought to go here because Abbott would love this this is the name of our 12 year old and because Jack takes his son uh, everywhere and they're about the same age I really listen to Jack and Jack wants to come and talk to me about these things and here's why Jack and Oprah and all these other people act like this they have three particular personality traits they like to try new things because they're new right they love to share stories with their friends and they're intrinsically motivated. So you don't need to pay them. They want to know. Now, it's been our experience that nobody is really influential in more than three categories of stuff. So if you want to talk to me about American muscle cars, I can go in depth. I can also do it with bourbon and, to a certain degree, tequila. Okay. Uh, w- women's shoes, uh, mass transit, or best food in different airports – I've got nothing Not for your you. thing. Not my thing. So influencers <laughs> need to be passionate about something, and they need to like it. Why? Because they need to love collecting up all the information. And, yeah. then, and what's interesting about an influencer, because now that we all have the phones in our hands that have you know, more computing power than the entire Apollo program together that sent people back and forth to the moon, 
there's technically speaking, there's no information that an influencer can give somebody that they couldn't get on their phone. It's just we in North America don't have time to go to our phone every time or to go online and check every little thing. The influencers take all that information and they sort of curate it, and they come up with this equation in their head. I know this thing about this product or service. I know this thing about this person. I get great joy out of bringing those two things together, and so I'd like to go do that. And that's that's fascinating. Yeah, and I think the other thing about an influencer that I see is that people respect their opinion because we all know people who think they know about things, and they don't. But just like your friend knows where to take your your sons and um, you know about bourbon and muscle cars, these are things that other people recognize that you are an expert in or you know something about, and I trust your opinion rather than all the things coming in on my smartphone. Right, and so and that's the other really interesting thing from a marketer. So there's two sort of sides to that coin. One, influencers, when they pick up their story, the brand story, they'll know who to share that with. So there's very little waste because an influencer only shares a story if it's interesting to them, so they picked right. it up and they understand it. Is it relevant to their audience, and is it authentic to the way that influencer currently either understands the brand or the category in general? Yep. So if it's interesting, relevant, and authentic, they'll share it. Since relevancy is important, there's very little energy that an influencer will spend against sharing a story with somebody that you know they know they don't care about. So my friend has a great story about the new diaper genie, for example. My son is 12. They're not sharing that story with me. Right, exactly. Right, yep. Because we don't thank the gods. That's not something that we currently need in our household. Yep. Right? Influencers are doing that, so – To your point, Linda, um, influencers are getting together all this information, and they're sharing it, and they're very credible sources. And they're very credible sources because they have spent – look, an influencer has their personality pretty much set by the time they're age 10. So by the time we as marketers, the people who are listening to this podcast, get to these influencers and start communicating with them, they've got 10, 20, maybe even 30 years of practice at sharing stories with people. So not only are they interested in your information and they, oh, I would like to know more about the new, if it's me, the new SS Camaro that's coming out. I would love to know more. Not only that, but all of my friends know that I'm the car dude. So when they're getting ready to think about a car, they come to me and say, hey, what is it you like? Yep. So it's working both sides, which is beautiful. This is the holy grail of American marketing. Yep, Absolutely. So how do we as marketers reach these people? Because we can't, we can't buy them. As you said, they're extrinsically motivated. They're not, they can't be bought. They're authentic. How do we reach them without going too far and then saying, hey, you know, don't try and buy me off? So here's the thing. Well, one, don't try and buy them off, right? right? So an influencer, let's just go over the three things again because I think it's important for everybody to remember it in the context of your question. Influencers like to try new things because they're new. They like to share stories with their friends, and they're intrinsically motivated. So working backward, intrinsically means they don't want money. In this case, they want experience. They want story. They want something that's not physical and tangible because, you know, a $2 off of Papa John's pizza 
you know, who cares? Right. But the crust is so super awesome. Oh, my God, I'm a foodie, but I'm eating Papa John's because this stuff is really good, right? <laughs> and and, yeah. and I know why it's really good because they drizzle olive oil and it's 400 degrees in the temperature or 800 degrees in the oven instead of 450, so it bakes faster, so it puffs up more. I mean, food influencers know about all that stuff because they care. Uh, my wife does not cook. She would eat grape nuts uh, three times a day, every day. <laughs> She wouldn't know any of those things, and it wouldn't really make a difference to her. But she builds houses, and she's an architect, so she would love to talk to you about you know, the latest drywall innovations. And for her friends that are putting together new bathrooms, they're like, oh, that's really important. For the rest of us, we're like, yeah, don't, drywall is not my thing. Right, and so, right. And so she knows not to have this conversation. So how do you find influencers? That's Linda's question. Yep. The answer is you don't find them, they find you. And why is it that they're trying to find you? Because they like to share stories with their friends, they're out there swimming around in the sea of information looking for fun stories. And when they get them, they gather them up and they swim back to their little fish hole and they're reading about the stuff and they're learning about the stuff. And then once they get it, they go around and they swim around to all their other fish friends to extend the analogy to its depth. Right. Um, and they share the story. So if if you go and try and figure out what each person is influential, one, only 10% of the U.S. population has its influence personality. So already 90% of the people you're going to test do not have all three of the qualities yeah. as primary. Now, everybody's got that. Everyone's got a best friend. Oh, I love to tell stuff, and we'll share stories. But influencers are that friend who – you see at a party and like, oh, my God, I thought about that you the other day when I was blah, blah, blah. Did you know blah, blah, blah does the blah, blah, blah? And you're like, oh, no, really? That's awesome. I would love to do that thing or go to that band or go buy a dress for 40% off or whatever it is that I want to go to. Right, right. right. So influencers are looking for your story. So you, as a brand, have to think about word of mouth as really two separate platforms. They're not attached. They're separate, but they're really close to one another. One platform is for you to be out there and designing something where you can share what's cool about your story, interesting, relevant, and authentic. That's the definition of cool. What you can share about your story in a way that doesn't interrupt people or intercept people, right, and passes what we refer to in the office as the brunch test. So if I'm telling the story of Linda to my friends who have never met Linda before, and we're all at brunch, and there's like six people, three couples, and I'm telling the story of Linda or Pabst Blue Ribbon or Pepsi or whatever I'm telling the story of. Are people leaning forward in my mind when I'm telling people this, or is my wife kicking me under the table and for some reason <laughs> I've become boring? Right. Yep. So that's the test. So if you have a story that passes the brunch test and you think is interesting, relevant, and authentic, and then passes that brunch test, you probably have a winner. Then what you have to do is you have to be comfortable with knowing that if you go talk – now, I'm not talking about putting brochures in people's hands or, or sampling stuff. We've all mentioned actually having conversations. Average word-of-mouth conversation in the United States, 32 seconds. So wow. we're not talking about long diatribes with white papers and 10 minutes and wait, but there's more. It's yep. quick hits. Here's the information. Here's the stuff because Americans are not stupid. We get it. Yep. And if we dig it, we dig it. And if we don't dig it, then we're moving on. And we as brands want other people to move on, and we want that because influencers drive 90% of the sales in the United States. 10% of the population 
driving the other 90% for everything that they buy. Wow. So everyone else, go away. I only want to talk to the people that are super interested in the new Camaro SS. To yep. go back to our original example, because they're going to tell all their friends, and they're going to know who just got a raise and who didn't get a raise, and the new SS Camaro is like seventy grand. So the guy who didn't get the raise, am I going to go talk about the new Camaro? I'm not, because I don't want to be a jerk. But You're the right. guy who got the SVP slot, I'm like, dude, you know, you need to take some of that bonus money before it, you know, gets into the family. You need to go buy yourself a toy. You deserve it. Here's why. Here's the engine note noise. Here's all the rest of the things. Dude, we should – here, I bought one. Let's go for a drive. It's super cool. I'm not selling. I don't work for Chevrolet. I don't get anything from the Camaro people. I don't get anything from Chevrolet. What I get is the joy of my friend is a car dude. I've turned him on to something that I love. Boom. We're done. And, and I, I love that because I, I can see that happening, and it does pay into being authentic and relevant and interesting. And you're right, these, this 10% of these people, they live to do this kind of stuff. They love to do this with other people. And we'd love to have someone that, that, that is an expert because we don't trust the brands. But from a branding perspective and a marketing perspective, what are some of the pitfalls that can happen here? What, what do companies do wrong when it comes to working with influencers and brand ambassadors and people who are telling your story? So the first thing they do wrong, of course, is not hire either you or me, Linda, because you know, that's the first <laughs> There error. you go. But, you know, eventually they'll all come work with one or both of us simultaneously. So yep. let's go back to the other things that they can do wrong. One, they assume that just because you have X number of people following you on some sort of thing that you're influential, right? Mm. Not true. You're either influential or you're not. Second, they try and con people into joining their thing, right? Here's a coupon. Here's a big thing, but you've got to sign up for this. We've got to get all your information. Uh-uh. Share. Share. Don't sell. Yeah. Right? Because influencers, the last, the absolutely last thing other than their imminent personal death that an influencer doesn't want to be known as is they don't want to be known as a salesperson. Absolutely. Because yep. they're out there sharing stories all the time. It would be easily confused and to, for them to be a salesperson than just somebody sharing. And since they love to share, like the over-index rate for an influencer is in excess of 300%. So three times more joy out of sharing a story for an influencer than the average person. So wow. it's kind of their hobby. So, man, if you're a brand and everybody thinks that I'm doing this because I get $2 coupons off of – I already mentioned Papa John's, so let's just – Papa John's isn't doing any of this stuff. I'm just picking them up because my son's home from summer camp tonight, and so I know there will be <laughs> Papa John's pizza and garlic sauce at the house. I just – you know, because when you're 12, what else is there after right, three weeks exactly. at summer camp? But, you know, massive amounts of Papa John's. So if if everybody knew that Abbott was getting, you know, $2 coupons off for every time he recommended one of his friends or he had a birthday party and they were sending him 10 bucks, man, all the influence, all the people would be like, "Oh, this is this message is bought and paid for." That's like right. advertising. That's not something I want to be a part of. Go away. Right? Yep. It's just straight up sharing. So don't give them so some mistakes. One, assuming that Americans are stupid. They're not. That's the era of broadcast. Broadcast is written for a 10-year-old boy that has a poorly developed frontal lobe. That's what broadcast <laughs> is written for. Yep. Word of mouth is designed on knowing that people are smart, 
right? That they can make their own decision and they are capable of making their own decision. And you're not able to really con a whole lot of people for a very long time into doing something they wouldn't do anyway. So instead of spending money trying to do that, why don't you spend money creating something that people really want to be a part of? Right? My, my great example for word of mouth on a huge scale, other things, otherwise things that we have done, uh, was Jeff Bezos making the decision about giving free shipping for Amazon. Oh, yeah. Because he figured, he's like, what's the one thing that everyone always is kvetching about? Oh, shipping costs and blah, blah, blah. Even though from a pure economic standpoint, it's cheaper to give the post office $4 to deliver something than you to get in your car and drive in the mall and go buy that thing and drive back. People right. just weren't getting it. So he said, you know what? We're going to take all those hundreds of millions of dollars worth of advertising, and we're going to create word of mouth marketing by giving everybody free shipping. Yep. And then everyone who'd ever heard of Amazon said, oh, blah, 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 Amazon. Did you know there's free shipping? Free shipping? Really? Yes. No cost to try my service. Now, there's people all over America that, like, you know, get their groceries from Amazon and, you know, every day have stuff. He's trying to – he's building huge warehouses all over the place just to be able to sell all of these things. They control most of the book sales in the United States. All these other things, shipping is free. Yeah, that's great. It's wonderful right. because you're right. He gets people talking about it without going out and buying anything, without trying to influence anyone in the sense of, of you know, trying to, to kind of uh, twist their arms. But he puts something out there that people start talking about. That's Love it. exactly right. Love it. We've been sitting here talking with uh, Ted Wright, who's the author of Fizz. And, Ted, one final question. If you had one thing you wanted people to remember about word-of-mouth marketing – just one thought you want to leave people with, what would that be? So the one thought is that word-of-mouth marketing works and that just because it's different than what somebody's done right this, you know, in the most recent past does not mean that you shouldn't go and investigate it. And I think for those people that are listening to you, Linda, that, and listen, I'm sure, all the time, um, that are small business owners, I would also say unless you have more than $2 million worth of revenue, don't call somebody to help you do this. Do it yourself. Yep. Because at that point in your life, you have more time probably for your small business than you have treasure. So don't go give your treasure away to somebody. Do word of mouth yourself. And just as a plug for the book, because I love my small business people, and they really have enjoyed this. There's a whole chapter that starts off like, unless you're making this much money, don't call me. Don't, <laughs> not because I won't take your money. But the problem is I would end up having to have all of your money, and you can do it for right now. You can do it all yourself. Until you're a business and you, ha you come to the point where you have to be sort of three places at once, right? Uh, there's one place at once. There's I go, oh, my God, I've got to be two places at once, right? Yep. Once you get to that three level, then you're like, you've got to call an agency and have them help you out. Otherwise, do it yourself. Yep, that's it's right. great. It works. Get out there. And for big brands, call Linda, call me. Uh, Absolutely. We'll so, Ted, if people want to find out more about you and about your book, where should they go? Uh, so you can just type into Google the word fizz and the word Ted, and you will find the book, and you will find the agency, and you will find all kinds of other stuff. It's, the book is available on Amazon. We just passed through the 50,000th copy of the book being sold, so we're Excellent. very excited about that. Um, and just, uh, so just use whatever search engine you use. Generally, everyone uses Google. Ah, uh, word of mouth, Google. Okay. Remember that? That's how it was. And um and then we're glad to talk to whomever.
Okay. Thanks very much. We've been here with Ted Wright. He's the CEO of Fizz and the author of the book, Fizz, Harnessing the Power of Word of Mouth Marketing to Drive Brand Growth. Thanks, Ted. Thank you, Linda. It was a real pleasure. Okay. Until next time, this is Linda Popke for Marketing Thought Leadership. We hope you enjoyed this edition of Marketing Thought Leadership, brought to you by Leverage 2 Market Associates. If you'd like to find out how powerful marketing results can transform your organization, contact us at www.leverage2market.com.